Great. Thanks, band, again. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to our church. Like Jonah said before, we are glad you guys are here. Thanks for visiting today, too, if it's your first time here. We're especially glad you guys are joining us. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Hiawatha, and we kind of an exciting day for us uh, today. We are welcoming a guest preacher, which you don't get to do too often uh, as a church. Most of you guys are probably aware of that. Uh, we do this uh, infrequently, but it's really fun when we get to, a chance to do it. Um, we're inviting Josh Williams to, to preach today. Josh is the church planting pastor of Restoration Hope Church. Uh, which is planning to plant in West St. Paul this September. They're soft-launched right now, which I realize is probably kind of church planner lingo. I don't know what soft, people know what soft-launch means. But anyway, their team is starting to meet uh, softly, uh, and then a more of a firm launch, uh, public launch this September. Uh, so kind of gearing up for that. Josh is a good friend. We've been connecting through Acts 29, one of our networks we're a part of as a church, which is a, which is a church planting network, and connecting more and more uh, about a year and a half now, I guess, ago or so now, which we've been meeting and um, talking, preaching, church planning, uh, ministry, um, and, and the like. And so, and I think realized pretty quickly that we're very like-minded. And so the long story short, the overseers of our church decided to get behind this guy and partner with him financially and otherwise. And so you'll probably be hearing more about um, Restoration Hope and Josh and his wife, Lindsay, and, and their family and their, and their team in the future as well. Um, but we're having him in today for a few reasons. One, so you guys can meet him uh, kind of through preaching. You just can meet him personally as well. He'll be around after the service too if you want to meet him and say hello. He'd love to do that as well. Uh, two, she so can help us to partner with him, uh, especially by praying. Uh, church planning is a work of God, uh, like everything in life, I guess. But church planning is a work of God. Uh, churches are, uh, you know, kind of in the business of caring for literally Christ's bride, which is a big deal. Prayer needs to be just over all of this. Uh, and so, um, Josh, be the first to say it. I'm saying it to his church planner myself. Um, prayer is a huge part of this. So uh, help us partner with him by praying for him. And even consider going with him, too. Some of you might be living in West St. Paul or close. Consider going with him or uh, know of him if you're close. So if you have coworkers or neighbors or friends that maybe live in West St. Paul, you can point them his direction. And uh, putting a face to the name of Restoration Hope might help a little bit in that today, too. So we're having him for that reason. And then third, uh, we want to spotlight church planning today a little bit more broadly. So um, Acts 29 is, again, one of our networks. They are doing church planning Sunday. Actually, next week, we're a week ahead because uh, we already slated Josh to preach. We're like, we've got to line these up, right? So we're, we're not following the calendar of it. But um, church planning Sunday is, uh, or month we could say, but it's kind of going on right now with Acts 29 where churches all around the world are, that we're networked with and kind of in a family with are highlighting what church planting or starting new churches is all about and the importance of it. Um, actually, we have a brochure that looks like this um, out these doors on your way out. If you want to grab one, there's only a select few, so first come, first serve. But I will attach this digitally, too, in our all-church email tomorrow if you want to read more about it um, or see, basically see the same thing in a digital format. Just kind of look for that um, as well, but feel free to take a, a print one today. But many of you know this is a big value for us as a church. We were a church plant too 14 years ago, sent out of another church that I was a part of for 10 years, um, out of that church, funded heavily by them, coached heavily by them, encouraged heavily by them, kind of covered in a lot of ways in the early years especially, a lot uh, by them. It's kind of what, what you do as a sending church, uh, 
that and other things as well, but it's a big value of ours. We started three churches ourselves, sent out uh, people of our own. We funded churches as close as St. Paul and as far as India and Nepal, and we're still doing uh, that as well, and, and Josh's church will be a fund, uh, kind of a fund support plan of ours too, but more than that, we, want, we talk about partnership on, a, on greater levels too and more on that in the future, but, but it's our belief uh, that the best and most biblical way to help spread God's kingdom is to, and to reach the lost and to help the believer persevere in his or her faith is the starting of more and more churches. Uh, it, it is one of the most valuable things that a church can be invested in, whether directly or, or indirectly. And, and it's one thing for me as one of your pastors to get up here and say this. Another thing for us as a church to get a fresh reminder that God is at work in many ways outside of our church as well through like-minded brothers and sisters and friends and partners in the gospel like Josh and his wife, Lindsay, and, uh, and their team. So it's kind of a benefit we get today, too, to realize, you know, uh, the gospel's global, right? It is it's bigger than what we're saying and doing. That's a good thing. And to, to know that it's preached and valued and, um, and just pounded home and, and seen in all the scriptures in the same way that we do, uh, but have another person in to, to sort of uh, come alongside that is super valuable for us. Um, and so that's another big benefit we get, I guess. But um, let me have Josh up, and I'm going to pray for him quick, and then we'll turn it over to you, Josh. So, But Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you that Josh is here uh, to serve us as a church uh, through preaching. I pray that you would help him to open the word and give us open eyes and open ears to see and to hear how beautiful you are, uh, what it cost you to bring us into community with yourself, and also the beautiful vision that um, you have in your word for a church that consists of enemy love. And we pray for all that and more. Uh, I pray that we would be that much more mature and that much more white and spotless as the bride of Christ wearing a bride, uh, bridal gown as you uh, paint so beautifully in your word in Revelation 19 and Ephesians 5, all those great places. I pray that we'd be that much more mature today through um, looking at and savoring your word than when we walked in. Uh, God, but thanks again for Josh. Bless him and his family and his fledgling church plant that's starting to kind of bud up and spread its wings in West St. Paul. We pray for uh, great things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me a second. I'm lost. <laughs> I'm not used to having like all these different things. <clears throat> you guys are really high tech church, so. <laughs> um, it's really great to be here again. Um, name's Josh Williams, and uh, man, really great I think to be here, particularly because of Chris's influence in my life. X twenty nine's influence in my life. Actually, um, there are a couple people here. Or Chris has been a part of X twenty nine. Um, you guys are part of X twenty nine, but there are people here trying to spot. Emily was a part of my assessment. Uh, she was awesome. Uh, drove me to tears during that time. Not many people can do that. And uh, and uh, there's I see her name. Can you remember your name again? Public Leah. I've seen Leah at just a cohort that, that X-29 runs uh, quarterly, and it's really fun to, to get together. So you guys are really doing great things. It's also another just privilege to be a part is because um, Chris has been helping me uh, through with preaching. So one of the things that X-29 asks you to do is preaching coaching, well, at least for me, not everybody. There are probably people who are like better rock stars than I am. Um, but but they asked me to do preaching coaching, and they hooked me up with Chris, and Chris has been awesome. He's like the Yoda of preaching, in my opinion, because um, he's just, I just think Chris is cool. I don't know if you guys do, but uh, 
<laughs> I think he's really cool. He's, he's just him. And, but, you know, I just got to tell you, you've um, very few pastors who are really gospel-centered. Uh, this idea of being really, like, centered on the gospel, ladies are focused on it. Seeing Jesus um, in every place of Scripture, at first you think, man, like, what's this magical thing that Chris is doing? But I think when you sit under, you know, things like biblical theology and you just hear this guy talk, you're like, wow, it really is there. And you're reading in your own time, you're like, wow, really? Jesus is there. Um, so you've got a gift in, in Chris. And so uh, I consider him the Yoda of preaching for me, and he'll probably always be that. Um, but then you guys have just been really helpful. I've met some of the elders. Um, they asked me to hang out with them. And you got some pretty cool elders. Um, like, it's pretty cool that your worship pastor is an elder, but also he, he wears a hat um, while worshiping. And so that's really cool. Because um, it doesn't normally happen in churches. Um, I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, it's really cool. So, but I, you guys got really great elders. You got a really great team of great people here. Uh, really love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Um, even though I don't really hang out with you, you could invite me over to eat if you wanted me to, if you wanted to. Um, but I love you guys. You guys have been really great to me. Um, just to share a little bit about me, um, I'm married. Let's see if this is working. Wait, give me one second. Boom. Um, so I'm married. That's my family. Uh, it's my beautiful wife, Lindsay, right there, and then our three kids. Um, the one in yellow, mustard yellow shirt um, with the stain because he probably just ate something and spilled it. Uh, it's Soren. He's six years old. Man, kid loves stories. Um, if you are a storyteller and you start talking and you tell him a story, he will zone off into space and start listening to a story. Really great, gentle heart that God is going to use. I don't know how um, because he just has a heart for people. Um, and he just has a really big heart. Flowey, right there, you can tell all over her face. Um, we call her Flo because, or her first name is Florence, but um, we call her Flo because she literally just goes with the flow. She, uh, she isn't outspokenly anti-rules, um, but she lives that way. <laughs> it's like she doesn't know how to follow a rule at all. Uh, she just thinks like free flow, and that's her. And so she lived up to her name. It was not on purpose. If we did, we wouldn't have named her that. Um, and then there's Barrett. You can just tell all over his face what he's like. He's got a smug look on his face. Um, but he's, he's a bear. He really is. He's a big boy. Um, he is, so Soren is six, Florence is two, or four. Barrett is two. He just turned two in, in uh, February. And uh, man, he's a big boy. And he's a bear. I mean, he's, he holds his own. He literally can punk his older brother and sister and doing whatever that he wants him to. Um, so that's my family. And God's called us a plant in West St. Paul. Um, Someone asked me how I got into this. I'm just going to say it really quick. I, a guy named Coach Medina was really influential in my life, and um, I grew up without a dad. You'll hear that later. And Coach Medina stepped into my life. It's a long story short. If you want to know more, take me out to eat. Um, but really stepped into my life and really just modeled what a man was, and God used him in my life to really break down walls. I became a believer, and, um, and God just gave me a passion to just talk about. I just... I read the scriptures, I just could not, like, not share <laughs> what I'm reading. And I didn't know that, like, that you weren't supposed to do it as a Christian. You're supposed to just read it and just be silent about it. That's how I saw Christians operate in, in the uh, circles I was in when I first got saved, but I just could not stop talking about it. And then I wanted to know what happened to me. <laughs> like, what just, like, my life just changed, literally 180. Um, I was a different person, different kid. wanted to know, and it took me two years to be discipled, uh, to know what happened to me, how I'm supposed to live. I was really hungry to do that, to know that. And it took two years, and that just really unnerved me because I was like, man, I just want to know. Can someone just tell me? How come no one can tell me? And uh, this great guy, Robert Houghton, just probably the, I don't know if I should say this, I'm going to say it, but he was like the blackest white guy I knew. 
And, um, and so he was just more hood than I was, and I was like, I got to hang out with this guy. Uh, but he was a street preacher. He just had more rhythm than I did. And, um, and he was just awesome. He discipled me, always brought me into his house and just taught me, man, this is what a gospel-centered life was. And would street preach, and I just got convicted, like, I don't want to share the gospel with someone and then not help them walk with Christ. And so I stepped into uh, seminary, and I just wanted to know, man, like, Lord, if you would call me to do this, I would do this. Like, I would give my life to this. And so God gave me a heart for West St. Paul when coming up. I'm skipping a lot of things. You're like, where is the story? How's it going? Um, but I came up to Minnesota. Um, I'll tell you that later. And, um, and I, just, I just fell in love with West St. Paul. And I just thought, I, if I go anywhere, if I plant anywhere, I want to have a heart for people. And I want to go where there's no gospel presence. So I really love Paul and the Bible. And I just thought, I just want to go where it just seems like the gospel is not present. And I just found West St. Paul, just happenstance. If you've never been to Black Sheep Coffee, it's in South St. Paul. Great place. It's awesome. See, see some heads. Um, and it was amazing. And I fell into West St. Paul. God instantly gave me a heart for that city. And ever since then, I've just been planning, scheming, and praying that the Lord would lead me there. But West St. Paul is a really cool place because um, 20,000 20, people live there. And that's not the coolest part. The coolest part is that 60,000 people total come into West St. Paul every day. Every day. It's like a port city. People just come in because there's food, there's, there's, there's a Target, everybody loves Target. Um, there's a whole bunch of car- commerce. It's a place of meeting, it's a place of eating, it's a place of greeting and welcoming, and, and it's one of those hidden gems that just people don't know about. I asked people about West St. Paul when I first heard out about it, and they're like, what? West, like, West Side? The West Side West St. Paul? No, like an actual city, West St. Paul. So they call it West St. Paul because it's west of the North-South River, which I, I don't know how they thought about North and South, but it usually goes this way. Right, um, but but it's uh, West St. Paul, south of the North South River, um, and so that's how they got that. Don't ask me why they thought that was a logical thing, but they did. Um, but West St. Paul is just this great city, and God's just given us a heart to plant. And so, uh, 2019, we started a residency program through Christ Redeemer Church, and it afforded us the opportunity just to develop a vision uh, for reaching West St. Paul. And so, one of the things that we're really passionate about, you probably. He already heard it in my story, but now I'm going to tell you outright is just want to reach the unreached. So there would be no need for our church if we weren't trying to reach people who weren't trying to come to church. Um, and so there are churches that are trying to, that are, they, they do preach the gospel and they have people come, but we want to go out. Like we want to intentionally leave um, the Sunday gathering to reach people who would not dare step foot in the church because they have views about Christians. And so we just feel called. So if you ever pray, what kind of people do we want to come to, you know, what kind of people should go to uh, Restoration Hope Church? I would say pray for people who have just been hurt by the church. Pray for people who are new to the faith, who, who, who want to know who Jesus is, and people who just want to be on mission. That's, that's the kind of people we want to be, and you'll hear more about that in the sermon. Um, last thing I want to share and just really emphasize something Chris said. Chris is totally right that church planning is like the thing. It's not just the cool thing. It is one of the most effective ways to share the gospel, and to reach people. So uh, Ed Stetcher says that the most effective way, to, uh, the most efficient and effective way for evangelism is to plant churches. And this guy named Aubrey Malfers says that um, your ability to reach someone, or church's ability to reach someone is exponentially bigger than uh, a church that has been around for 10 years ability to reach someone. So for example, one person in a new church plant will have the potential to reach five people. One person will reach five people. So think about a whole church full of people, and you guys each reaching five people when church plant starts. In three years, that number drops to three. So in three years, one person might reach three people. When a church reaches ten people, it goes to one to one. 
So just by simply starting new churches or start planting churches, there's this like internal umph, this angst in a people to like, we want to reach people. And so one of the most effective ways to, to reach people, to share the gospel, for people to come to faith is to plant churches. So I'd highly recommend it. So if you've never thought um, that you would ever be a part of a church plant, I would say you're, you, were, you were designed <laughs> to go share the gospel. You were designed to go be on mission. Uh, there, is, there is no church without the mission. There is no church without the Great Commission. Um, and so I, I think that's why Jesus was a genius. So um, with that, let's, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the text. We're going gonna, gonna to talk a little bit about what we're talking with my church about and just really invite you into that. So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, open it. Um, if not, their verses will be on the screen for you, but let me pray. God, be with us as we sit underneath your word, because that's what we're doing. We are we're listening, we are stopping, we are calming everything down that we would normally do in our crazy lives just to listen to what your word says, and really understand how the gospel transforms our life and really how it impacts every part of our life. And so, thank you that you still do speak through your word. Thank you that you are still changing hearts by this this beautiful gospel um, is such good news to our souls. And we just pray, God, that you will show how the gospel really does impact a community. In your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 2, verse 11, starting verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh, or in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also have or are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So one of the things my, uh, taking my church through is, is a, a series of messages that talks about uh, the core beliefs of our church. And so these are beliefs really that they're like pillars that we stand on. They're foundational for us. Um, they really create the outworkings of our, how we think about ourselves in our life. And, and so these, these three pillars, these core beliefs are the gospel word, the gospel community, and the gospel mission. And the reason why I put gospel in front of every one of those words is because the focal point of the Bible is the gospel. 
the, every, everything that's happening in the Bible is all pointing towards Jesus and what he, what he has done for us. And so everything that you see in the Old Testament is actually a foreshadow and a preparation for Jesus. And then everything that you see in the New Testament is, 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 is what the gospel ends up taking and saying, hey, the gospel is a lens for you to see all that God has been doing. So the gospel is kind of like glasses to see clearly uh, what God has been doing throughout history and actually what he's actually doing in our now. And so in a package statement, the gospel is actually about Jesus and what he has done for us to restore us and all creation. Just think about that. Not just us, but the creation itself. God is restoring everything to himself through Jesus, and that changes everything, everything for us. That changes how we see everything. It changes how we see God, right? Because our ability to see God is really tainted by our sin, and Jesus steps in with the gospel and says, hey, clear eyes, let me show you. And it changes also how we see ourselves. We... We think we know ourselves, but we really don't see ourselves clearly as, as clear as we ought to. Um, and if we see ourselves through the lens of the gospel, it creates so much freedom. And so one of the goals of preaching at Restoration Hope Church is, is to ask the question, how does the gospel change the way that I see fill in the blank? And you could fill it with anything. <laughs> how does the gospel change the way that I see God? How does the gospel change the way I see my neighbor? How does the gospel change the way I see myself, how I view my hope? Um, how do I understand the problems that exist in our world? What the solution is to that problem? The gospel changes everything, everything. I believe that you could say, how does the gospel change the way I see? And then you could fill it with anything. You go to the scriptures, you look at the gospel and realize, wow, like this is what Jesus has done. And so, um, and so what I want to do and what I'm trying to do for our church through this series is I want to do three things really. I want to define for them what these core beliefs mean. What exactly does gospel word, gospel community, gospel mission, because like the Christian thing to do is attach gospel to it and it sounds awesome. Um, but, but what exactly does that mean? Um, and the second thing I want to do is I want to help our church say, and I really I want to show you guys, share, give you an insight to our church, like where in the scriptures do we get these ideas? So um, today we're going to talk about gospel community. And then I also want to help our church understand how the gospel changes the way we see actually the Bible the Word of God, how the gospel changes the way we see, like, a community. For example, there's a biking community, there's a cigar-smoking community, there's a pipe-smoking community, uh, there's a community of people, there's, like, a scrapbooking community, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, see, I got an affirmation of that. There's, like, a sewing community, there's, like, there's like the shirt community, there's a board gaming community. I mean, there's a whole bunch of communities out there, but what exactly, what kind of community is the church? What defines us? Who are we? What makes us us? And then really the mission, honestly, uh, the gospel defines what kind of mission we're on. There's a whole bunch of different causes, missions that are out in the world. You know how many nonprofits there are? I don't either, but <laughs> I know there's a lot. There's a lot of nonprofits, but there are people who are on a mission. What kind of mission are we on? The gospel defines that for us. And so today we're, uh, our church, we're actually starting a conversation about community. Last week we talked about, actually the last three weeks we talked about the word. Today we're starting on community and, um, and we want to really ask the question, what is a gospel community? What is a gospel community? And a gospel community really refers to how we see the church and really how I want us to see ourselves as Restoration Hope Church. I think really you could step into this, this conversation and begin, like, how should you see yourself as a church? I think if you really think about it, you are a gospel community, and we'll, we'll look at how we get there. So, the two questions I want to ask to really answer that question, what is a gospel community, is I want to ask, how does someone get into a gospel community? How does someone get in? 
Like, how, how do they become a part of this family, right? How do they become a, become a part of what you are? How do they enjoy the things you have? How do you get into a gospel community? And then what kind of community are we, right? Like, if there's a way we get in, like, what defines us? What, what makes us different? Like, if we're claiming to say that the gospel changes everything and the gospel is awesome and it gives us life, then, then, then what are we? Like, how, what kind of community are we? And so we want to answer that. So the way we're going to look at this, answer these questions is, first, we're saved into a community. Give me one second. It's my first time doing this. Um, we're saved into the gospel community, and we are a community that reflects the gospel. So we'll talk about it that way. Let's do the first one. Let's look at the first one. We're saved into a gospel community. So when you look at this text, there's a lot I think you could talk about. There's 11 verses here, and it's pregnant with, with like, what do these mean? It's all over the place. And so there's a lot that we can look at, but what I want to do actually is I want to look at the whole forest, and I just want to recognize the beauty and the goodness of the forest that's there and not miss the, the forest for the trees. And so one of the things I think that Paul is talking to the Gentile, he's talking to the Gentile church, and he's helping them understand that he has, that what has happened to them is pretty cataclysmic. And so in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he's telling them, this is how Jesus impacts your life individually. This is how Jesus has changed you. This is who you are on an individual level. But in verses 11 through 22, Paul's saying, now, this is how Jesus has changed you as a community. So, like, usually we think, okay, the gospel is just for me, like, my individual relationship with God, but, like, sometimes we miss that God is doing something on a huge community level. I think we understand what he's doing on a community level gives us hope for our community. It gives us hope for the community we live in and different communities that we're not a part of because Jesus actually is changing whole communities if we see it. And so I think there are a couple of things to to notice in order to get a feel for what Jesus has done in this passage. So the first thing I just really want to talk about is just Gentile. Um, A Gentile is any national or ethnic people group that was not Jewish. So that's what Gentile really means. So to be a Jew meant that you were part of God's national people, Israel, and you experienced all of God's blessing while nobody else did. That's what it meant to be an Israelite or a Jewish person. And so historically, God promised the Jewish people's ancestors that he would be their God and that they would be his people. What what a great claim, right? I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be mine. And that's what covenants um, of promise is referring to in verse 12. And that promise came with a law and commandments that they had to follow in order to be his people. And that's what you see in verse 15. Um, And because they had this promise and laws, every single Jew, just they enjoyed specific provisions and protections that no other nation had. They essentially, to be a Jew meant automatic winning in life, right? It was a hashtag winning in their life. It was automatic for them. And the kicker is that for an outsider, it was possible for an outsider to come in. But for an outsider to come in, they had to give up everything. In order to enjoy the benefits, they had to be circumcised. And it wasn't, it wasn't just about a snip-snip for them, right? Like, it wasn't just about a slight cut. It was about totally rejecting your national identity, totally rejecting your previous religion, and totally embracing all that God is and all that his people are like. You are becoming one of them. It's a big deal. And so look at the imagery that is used to describe how a gentle would have felt like Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
And now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So separated, you see that? All those bolded words describe what a Gentile felt like. Separated, alienated, strangers, listen to this, far off, hostility, they were outsiders. And so for, for like what a Jew had felt like this wall of hostility that says, nah, 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 boo, boo, you can't get in. You don't have what we have. Look what I got. You don't have it. That's what, it, that's what, it, that's what a Jew had. In being a Jew, they had this wall of hostility that said, you can't get in. You're outside. You're an outsider. And so that's why I was saying Gentiles felt like they're, they're outsiders. They were without hope and without God in the world. But look at what Jesus does. He brings them near into the community of God, into the, into the community of the people of God. He breaks down the wall of hostility. It's a wall of hostility that separated Jew and Gentile. And then it says he makes them one new community. So instead of like, it used to be, hey, Jew, Gentile, separated. Now it's like one new people. Like no distinguisher. Now, now the distinguisher is Christ. Like it's, it used to be like, like now there's, in Christ, there's all these different colors now. It looks really beautiful. And like red's the main color because of Christ's blood. It's all these different like shades of people, all these different mashing of cultures and what we're like and all these different enjoyments now because of Christ. All through his blood. It says in verse 13 that he does it by his blood. The way that he makes that possible is through his blood. And through his blood, it says, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What, what in the world does that mean? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Laws expressed in court and commandments and ordinances? One thing, you, one thing that Jesus does for us on the cross is that he takes his perfect life, takes his perfect obedience, and he pays it forward as our obedience. He gives us his perfect obedience. And he fulfilled the law so that you wouldn't have to. He fulfilled the law because you couldn't fulfill the law. And in himself, in Jesus He's breaking the wall of hostility. So the, like, the, the, the law and the commandments were like this veil, right? Usually we think of veil as like covering your eyes. The veil is kind of like this drape that says, you don't get past here, bro. You don't, you don't come here. You don't come through here. You don't get access. And Jesus, Jesus takes this veil, the law and commandments, and he obeys them. And in obeying them and dying, he, he abolishes them. So he puts his life forward for our life. And through his life, we have life. Through Jesus, we actually become a part of his people. Through his blood, through being ripped to shreds for you, he gets you access. So as long as Jesus lives, you live. As long as he has life, you have life. As long as, as, long as Jesus is alive, as long as he has risen, this church has life. That's how big of a deal it is. It's amazing. So praise God that Jesus has risen from the dead, Right? And so if this was true for the Gentiles, guess what? You're, you're a Gentile. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you were born a Jew in this room, you are a Gentile. This is talking about us. This is good news for us. And so we, through Jesus, we get access. And so salvation now is not just like this individual thing between me and God, right? Now salvation is this, is this we thing. It's this community thing that God saves us to restore us to, to us and himself, but now he saves us to restore us to each other. Like, just simple practical question. Would you have ever hung out with each other in high school? 
I wouldn't. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be mean, but Christ is what, what brings me together to you. That Christ is what affords this opportunity to, for you to hear me preach and for me to worship you and to sing this song and to be driven to tears about the rock of ages. Christ does that. And so we've been saved into a community. And here's an example of what that looks like. Um, anybody in here watch the show Mandalorian? Awesome. It's a great show, right? Awesome. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, right? Um, but in this show, there's a character that looks a lot like Baby Yoda. And there's actually a big argument because his name is Grogu. Like, you find out later in second, season two, there's a big argument in, like, online. There's, like, a whole bunch of memes. It's kind of funny. Um, but, but I'm going to call him Baby Yoda. So if you're offended, the blood of Christ, forgive me. you got to apply it. <clears throat> but, but the Mandalorian saves Baby Yoda in the beginning of the season. It doesn't really take long. And what's really amazing about this is now Baby Yoda is in the Mandalorian family, called a youngling. And, and because he saved them, now he's in a Mandalorian scare. And so, man, Baby Yoda, he doesn't even look like them. He's, like, weird. He's kind of cute, but he's ugly at the same time. And, and he just enjoys all these benefits of being a of Mandalorian family, right? And so as long as a Mandalorian is alive, Baby Yoda's alive, and what's really cool where you see the gospelness is, is that Baby Yoda invites all this hostility from the evil empire. He invites all these threats, all these attacks, and poor Mandalorian is just taking all the heat for this, for this baby's life because this baby belongs to him. As long as Mandalorian has life, he gets to live. Baby Yoda gets to experience all the benefits of the community just because of the Mandalorian. He, he vouches his life for this baby's life. And I think that's where you see Jesus and the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian becomes Baby Yoda's peace. And when you watch Baby Yoda, he loves the Mandalorian for it. So the gospel community really describes, I think, what Jesus does to bring the people, of, people into relationship to himself but also to each other. That's what you see in the gospel community. And the church is a group of people who have been restored to God through the blood of Christ. And so Jesus, he tears down the wall of hostility that exists between you and God and then you and each other. So if there's like any beef in this church, there shouldn't be because of the blood of Christ. It makes, the blood of Christ makes it possible for you to be forgiven and to be restored to each other and to live in harmony and unity like this world has never experienced before. In fact, our culture is really struggling to figure out how to do that. And so in Jesus, you see He's torn to shreds for you. He takes the hostility, God's punishment, and he takes the hostility that would exist between people and brings them together. So praise God that Jesus does that. And so the way that you get in, right, the way that you get in is Jesus brings you in. By his blood, he brings you near, and it's through the price of his own life. And the good news, that's good news for our culture. The good news is that Christ is paid and you don't have to pay. And so I think what the gospel does in comparison to our culture is it motivates us by grace. Because right now, one of the things I notice in our culture is that for you to be a part of the majority culture, to you to be in with what's ever happening in our culture, you have to pay a price. You have to pay. You have to give up something. And so right now, you have to conform to a certain view of sexuality. You have to conform to a specific political view. You have to, you have to conform to a, a specific view of race. And if you don't, you're canceled. You're rejected. You're less than human. You're less than an American. You, are, you don't belong. Unless you accept and conform to these things, then you're, you're canceled, you're kicked out. And that's, that's motivation by fear. But what the gospel does is motivate you by grace 
and love. Because what Jesus says to you through the gospel is, I have paid the price for you to be with us. Like, I've paid the price for you to be in, to be a part of us, to be a part of me. I've paid the price for you. And so if you reject me, you cancel yourself. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the beautiful thing about the gospel. That's what I love about Christ. Because if, if, you, if you reject Christ, you're canceling yourself. You're rejecting the only provision that God has given you to restore you to him. And he's given you everything. He's given you his only son, his blood, his life for you. And what I love about the gospel is that, is that Jesus constantly pursues you when you reject him. When you sin against him in those brief moments, or if you know someone who doesn't know Christ, if you're sitting in here in this room, you don't know Jesus, and you reject him, guess what? Jesus spends the rest of your life in this life pursuing you, saying, hey, I still want you in because I, I died for you. I gave up my blood for you. you. He pursues you with grace. You will never, ever, ever experience anything like that in this world. There's no one like Christ. There's no one who does what he does. Jesus dies for his enemy. Who do you know who does that? Who dies for Thanos? Right? Who, dar- who dies for Darth Vader? Jesus would have. And that's a message that we want to proclaim to the people in West St. Paul and the surrounding community. We want to communicate that Christ has broken down the wall of hostility for them to be in Christ's community. Because I'm afraid that they believe that they don't belong because they don't subscribe to a certain, beha- certain set of behaviors. But what Christ does for them is he breaks down the wall of hostility and says, I have behaved perfectly for you. For you to get in, and you're going to screw up again, but I died for you. I'm going to constantly plead your case to the Father so that you're, you continue to be in. He not only dies for you to know him, he dies to keep you. That's the good news of the gospel. And so we want to say that to people. We want to say that to people in West St. Paul and the surrounding communities. And we want to say, we want to welcome people into the community because we want to say about ourselves, hey, we're just like you. We're broken people who have sinned against God. The only thing that separates you and me is that I trust in Christ. But I'm a person who needs Jesus daily. And you need him daily too. So we want to invite people into that and say, hey, you and I are both the same. I just... I just trust Christ, and I want you to trust him with me. But I'm no better than you. So that's how someone gets into the gospel community. And, and, and let's, let's look at now what kind of community the gospel community is. We are a community that reflects the gospel. And so notice what is said about the, what kind of community they are because of what Jesus has done. Look at verse 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so when you look at what this is saying, what we are is directly connected to what Jesus has done. Directly connected. We don't have who we are unless Jesus has done something for us. So it's saying they used to be strangers and now they are no longer strangers because now they're fellow citizens. They've been made fellow citizens with the saints. That means other Christians around the world, right? So just think about that for a second. 
you are made a fellow citizen, not just another citizen, a fellow, same level, same tier, co-heir Christ, just as loved by God as the other person is, equal in Christ. Christ makes you equal, makes you a fellow citizen. And Jesus did that through his blood. That's how it happened. And they have access to God the Father equally. And they were once not a part of God's household, but now listen to this, they are now a part of a family, a part of the family of God. Right? So now they're invited to Thanksgiving. They're invited to Christmas. They're invited to the New Year's Eve party. They're invited to Easter. They're invited to all the family shenanigans that would ever happen. I don't know what you guys do, but Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, Easter, those are the, those are the big shippings for us. But you're invited. You're invited to all the family parties in Christ. You were no longer a part of that, but now you are. Not just a citizen, not just a, a card-carrying member of the Christ community, but now you're your family. Good news. And so Paul, the author of this letter, says that they are, they are a community that has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And that's Paul's fancy way of saying that everything that was happening in the Old Testament, everything that God was doing, and now what Christ did was all for this. Every single thing that God's been up to has been for your good to give you his son, Jesus Christ. And it's been built on that. And notice that it's not built on you. It's not built on your resume. It's not how built on how great a student you are. It's not how built. It's not built on on your job or your or what you find security in. It's not built on anything, but Christ. So they're a community that is being built together, like a temple where God dwells in. <laughs> this is um, is amazing. This is a crazy thing to say that because of Christ, people are here. Like God's here with us. And he's, and he's building this building on living stones. You are the living stones. And he's constantly adding new people who don't know Jesus to this building. And just to make you look up at that building and say, wow, what, who built that? What, what architect built that? How did, how did he do that? To make you look at him and, and realize, man, there's a whole story that's happening here. There's something that's constantly happening, happening that God is constantly doing. And guess what? You're a part of it. You're part of the visible display of what God is doing. Man, that's so good. So good. And so what Paul does through the rest of this letter is he's now he's teaching them basically what it looks like for them to reflect the gospel in their life, in their community life, and, and what they are as a community that reflects the constant work of the gospel. And so the gospel is not just something that just saves you and then brings you in and then that's it and now it's left to you. No, the gospel is constantly working in your life constantly working in your life, constantly making you look more like Jesus, constantly using you to communicate a specific message through your life. And he cares more about you and, and more about the gospel work in your life than you do. And so even when you fail to, I think, perfectly or effectively communicate that message, he is working through you to communicate that message even when you fail. Wow. So verse 17 is a really interesting statement because it tells this community, and I think it also tells us, the kind of community that, that, that they're supposed to be and that we're supposed to be. It says in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So, so those far off were Gentiles, those who were near were Jewish people. And, and, and notice that what Christ is doing. He's preaching to both sides. So usually the problem, right, when, when there's a problem, you preach to the problem people or you, you deal with them. But Christ is telling both sides peace <laughs> through my blood. Right, so he's saying, he's, he's using the in community and saying, hey, we got to go preach peace to them. 
and he's going to the, to the community outside and saying, hey, peace through my blood. But he's also going to the outside community, peace through my blood. And by the way, they're also saying peace. He's also saying, hey, you, you need to make sure that they feel that there's peace here. He's constantly working on both sides, whatever that both sides is. And so when Jesus tore down the wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, he's actually redefining for them what should really matter, that the thing that should matter is really holding on to him. The thing that they should hold on to the most is him, is Christ, and nothing else. So now Jesus is the new wall. There used to be a wall of hostility, but now Jesus is the wall, and, he, and he's a wall that's been torn in half saying, hey, you can come in. So God is using his son Jesus and now using the community that's a part of that wall to say, hey, welcome in. So instead of being a wall that's like a barrier, that's how you usually use walls, that's usually how you use fences, now Jesus is saying, I'm redefining what a wall is for. It's meant to say community exists here, and you're welcome. Here's an example. One Wednesday, um, I usually use Wednesdays to drive around West St. Paul and to just pray. I want to be involved in community. I want to know what's going on and and if I can meet people, talk with them. But I usually just try to drive around and pray. And one Wednesday, I was driving, came to a stop sign, and I just noticed this, like, beautiful, like, all these beautiful colors. And I just, like, what is that in my peripheral? And I just saw, man, look at this beautiful fence. It's got all these, it's got all these colors on it. And it said Black Lives Matter, but it also had different illustrations. And, and it was clear that when you looked at this fence, this fence was like a big wall that says, this is what this house stands for. I mean, it was in your face. You, like, this is what this wall, this is what this house stands for. That's who's welcome. Now, pause. I'm not trying to use this as an opportunity to tell you whether that's right or wrong. But I think there's something that you see and notice about the gospel and learn from this example. I want you to notice that whatever was on that wall, it could have been anything, but whatever was on that wall is what that house held up and held on to. That's what it held up and held on to. That's what was most important to that house. At least that's what you would think. And so it's clear the kind of people that, that actually belong, that can come into that house. And so I think in a similar way, Jesus holds up a fence and it says, peace through my blood. If you could just re-imagine that wall on that fence, on that wall, in big, bold, fat letters, there is peace through my blood. And Christ is a part of that wall. And his people are also pieces of that fence. They're the different planks of wood that have been used to bind up that, create that wall. Because what Jesus, I think, says through his blood is, I am the new wall, and, my, and I am a wall of peace, and the gate is open. It's open for you to come in. So, so come in. You don't need to do anything. I've done it all for you. And it's not a wall that says, keep out. It doesn't say that. No, the wall says, you are welcome through my blood. And you're a part of that wall. You're, you are a living plank on that wall that says, look at Jesus. It's open. Come in. And so in Christianity, I think, I think specifically in the church, we have a wall. We do. We do have a wall. And it's Jesus, but it's not a wall that's meant to separate and estrange. And I'm afraid that that's historically what the church has communicated in some way. It's not you necessarily, but just that's the rap we have. When I talk to people in West St. Paul, they, they see that they think there's a wall that says, hey, you don't belong here, you're estranged. But I think what this is saying is something different. The church is meant to be a gospel community that reflects a message that says, hey, there's a wall, it's been torn open for you, and it says, peace through the blood of Christ, come in. 
Come barbecue with us. Come have some kombucha with us. Do you guys drink that? Hey, it's good. I'm brewing my own, by the way. It's really good. Green tea is better than black tea, in my opinion. Um, Sidetrack. But we communicate a different message that says, come in. Come in. And so this doesn't mean that there's, this doesn't mean there's no wall, right? This doesn't mean that you don't have beliefs. It doesn't mean that you don't define what you believe. It doesn't mean that you water down what you believe. But what this does mean is that you begin to love across barriers and differences. You say, hey, this is, this is what I hold up. This is what I stand up. There are aspects of this wall that says you don't come in, but Jesus is making every provision for you to come in. But I'm going to love you across barriers. I'm going to love you across our differences. I want you to know that you can always are welcome here. That's what the gospel communicates. Yes, we have differences, but I will love you across those differences. I think you see that in Christ because Christ was like, even with the Pharisees, for example, the, the Pharisees, they just, man, they just didn't get it. And Jesus was constantly like, I don't know if you noticed, but when you read the Gospels and you think about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they just were like hard-headed, they didn't get it, but yet still Christ entertained them. He was willing to answer their questions. So much that a guy named Nicodemus would, was willing to risk his life to come over to hang out with Jesus at night. And Jesus didn't shut the door. He said, came in. He, he came in. And said, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. But you can come in. And so what, what does it look like to love across boundaries in real life, right? Because we can talk about it on a high level, but what's that look like in everyday life? So when I was seven, my parents divorced, and sometime after that, my dad remarried a lady named Mama Leola, and, and if she was here, she would actually like you to probably call her Mama Leola. She was awesome. But, but when my dad married her, I thought she was the problem. And so I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make her pay. I wanted to make her pay and suffer for taking my dad from me and my mom. So my goal in her life was to be the biggest turd I ever could be, the fattest one, just to give her a hard time, to be messy for her. But instead of responding to me to make me pay, instead of retaliating, she did something different. She invited me in continually. She constantly invited me back, even though I drew her to tears. She fed me. She hugged me. She called me son, even though I was really her enemy as I thought it was, she, she, she invited me in and preached peace. She was willing to, to stand up to my shenanigans and, and love me. And she, and she did that for 10 years while I did what I did to her for 10 years, and eventually Christ used it to break me. She's one of the reasons why I know Jesus to this day. And so I think to be a community that reflects the gospel, I think we have to model what it means to preach peace to people who are far off and bring them near. I think what that means is we go to people, we draw close to people, and then sometimes that means we, in, we draw them near. We invite them into our life, as risky as that might sound. But, but that's what Christ did for us. I think we model what Mama Leola did. I mean, Mama Leola isn't the model Christ is, but what I saw in Mama Leola is I saw Christ in her. And so Mama Leola did that to me because Christ preached peace to her. And what she was doing was preaching peace to me through drawing me near. She was doing what Christ did. And so I think in our church, in Restoration Hope Church, I think you can think about this for yourself in your church here, we're, we're working on developing gospel community groups, and I think you guys have something called community groups here, right? And so the design for us, for those groups, is to be clusters of people who spend lots of time together. 
lots of time together to know each other, right? And we, wanna, we actually want to invite non-believers into that relationship with us so that they can hear the message of the gospel, so they can hear peace through Jesus' blood, right? And so it's like we want to spend a lot of time together because we want to model what it looks like to, to reflect the gospel, not just to non-believers, but to each other. Because we need to be reminded as believers of the gospel. It's why we preach every Sunday. It's why Chris is so darn gospel-centered, right? Because you need it, and he needs it. He needs it. And so if you don't hang out together, it's really hard to love each other and to offer opportunity for people to love you. And so that's what we want to do in our gospel community groups. And we, we want to spend a lot of time together. And our whole aim in West St. Paul is to constantly reflect the gospel. And so a gospel community is a group of people who Jesus has restored and redeemed to himself. That's what a gospel community group is. And they live their lives reflecting the gospel to each believer and non-believer. Both believer and non-believer need the gospel. You'll never graduate from the ABCs. When you spell, you think about all the ABCs. I still use my fingers to count. You might call me dumb, but I still use my fingers to count. You don't graduate from the elementary truths. You always need the gospel. So if you really think about it, a a gospel community is the church. You are a gospel community. You're the gospel community in this area. Everybody's looking at you and seeing the message of peace. And may God help you to continue to, to continue to preach that message. And so for Restoration Hope Church, you could say that our church is actually one massive gospel community of small clusters of gospel community groups. That's how we want to think of ourselves. We don't, we don't want to put focus and intention on necessarily the structure or, or our Sunday gathering, although we want to. We want people to come hear the word, but we want to say, hey, there are, there are seven days in the week. We worship Jesus on one, right? But we live it out in the other six days of the week. And we do that together in community. That evangelism is a community event rather than like for the gifted few people. But everybody's called to do this and we do it in community. We want to communicate that peace is through the blood of Christ to those who are far and near. So I just invite you. I invite you to, to do that. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. And if you're not doing that, man, hear this through Christ. Peace through my blood. <laughs> like you don't have to feel guilty because... Christ preaches peace to you, and he promises to work in you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you do preach peace to us and that you, you work in us, that you're constantly working in us to not only hear um, peace from you, that we might be motivated not by fear but by grace and love, um, but you preach peace to us that we might embody that, that we might look like you, and thank you so much that you don't leave us to ourselves, that you, just even in the Great Commission, you give this awesome adventure that we can go on to go and make disciples, and then you say at the end, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're with us always, and you're, you're here now, you're here now dwelling with us, and thank you that you do that through the blood of Christ. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.